This CBF podcast conversation is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theology education. Study online or on campus and learn from Fuller seasoned scholar practitioners and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next steps in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. We are excited to launch this new podcast listener support project. We hope you'll visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for finding out ways of how you can support the podcast, but get stuff in return, like books from our guests here on the podcast, like sending in questions for upcoming guests, like joining me on an actual interview with one of our guests. And of course, the VIP experience at this summer's General Assembly by joining me with whoever we bring in for the podcast stage. And now, on to our conversation. This week's CBF Podcast Conversation is brought to you by CBF Advocacy. CBF Advocacy is excited to announce two Advocacy in Action opportunities in 2020. Advocacy in Action will be returning to Washington, D.C. on March 9th through the 12th, 2020, after a wonderful event in New York City. CBF's Advocacy's annual event will include popular staples such as participation meetings with congressional offices and opportunities to hear about advocacy efforts with CBF partners in Washington. In 2020, Advocacy in Action will include more experiential opportunities, including a special tour at the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Registration for this event will be capped at 60 and opens September the 30th, 2019. Visit cbf.net backslash advocacy in action for more information about housing options, registration, and event details. For the first time ever, CBF's Advocacy is happy to announce a regional Advocacy in Action event in conjunction with CBF Heartland. Advocacy in Action Heartland will be February the 8th through the 10th, 2020 in Jefferson City, Missouri, co-hosted by CBF Heartland, First Baptist Jefferson City, CBF, and Word and Way. 
with a focus on equipping individuals to advocate for their state and local governments and finding alternatives to payday loans, Advocacy and Action Heartland promises to be an event you won't want to miss. Well, our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Clay Scrogans. He is the lead pastor of Buckhead Church, a campus of North Point Ministry. He has authored several books, including How to Lead in a World of Distractions and How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. Clay, thank you for joining the conversation. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Really grateful to get to talk about this. And uh, thank you for taking your spotlight and shining on my little world for a minute. Thank you. Well, before we get to your your book and your work, I wonder if you might tell us a little bit more about you. Sure. Uh, I grew up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Um, they play football there. They they roll with the tide there. Some would say it is their it is their religion. Um, but I moved to Atlanta in 1998 to go to Georgia Tech and study engineering. I had a great experience in Atlanta, and I, I had a great experience at Georgia Tech, but I quickly realized I do not need to be an engineer. So I, uh, but I was too far into the degree program to change. Uh, I told the school, hey, if you give me this degree, I promise you I will never use it. And so they, uh, we made that exchange. So I have an engineering degree, but I, I, I spent a couple of years while I was in college working at Accenture doing some business strategy consulting. I mean, I was an intern there, so I didn't do any of the consulting. I supported the consultants. But uh, the best thing that happened when I was in Atlanta is I got involved with North Point Community Church, which was kind of in its infancy at the time. It started in 1995, so I started attending uh, right when we moved into the building that we're still in today. I uh, moved to Dallas, Texas to go to seminary when I graduated from college, went to Dallas Theological Seminary, got a master's in theology and did a doctorate uh, with an emphasis on uh, online communities, helping people grow spiritually in online environments. Um, loved Dallas Seminary, but the best thing that happened to me there is I met my wife, who is a Texan. She's a Texan named Aggie, and she finished her seminary degree uh, remotely from Atlanta after we moved here. So I was a campus pastor. I, well, I did student ministry for about five years. I was a campus pastor at uh, one of our campuses called Brownsbridge. I was a campus pastor at North Point for the last, about the last five years. And then for the last three months, I've been at Buckhead Church, which is our, uh, it's our campus that's closest to the city. I mean, it's got a city of Atlanta address. It's kind of in the heart of Atlanta. Um, very diverse congregation. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a really fun change for me. Uh, I guess one of my questions is, what does a degree in online church look like? Uh, that was not an emphasis uh, in my seminary days, and so I'm fascinated <laughs> right. to hear what that looks like, uh, you know, on a uh, higher education level. Well, you know, you get to the end of that, when you get into that degree, that the, I, I, it was a doctorate in ministry, a D-min, and I it's a field degree, so technically you're supposed to study or supposed to research something in your field. Um, I was in student ministry at the time. I think I just knew, I mean, I love student ministry. I, I, I hate the critique that sometimes people think people leverage student ministry as a way to move on to the next thing. I was not wanting to do that. I was really content uh, working in student ministry, but I also kind of had a feeling that I wouldn't be in student ministry forever. And so when it came time to pick my topic, I, I really had to convince them to let me study uh, online church because I wasn't technically involved with that at North Point at the time. 
but I just thought this will be something that will really help me down the road. And it, it really has, because it just made me explore ecclesiology and really try to understand what church is and what it's not. And, uh, what we're doing to try to help people grow spiritually, whether they walk into a building or whether they find themselves in an online digital group or in some kind of remote mentor relationship. Um, and so I, I think that I don't even remember the title of the paper, <laughs> excuse me, it was something about creating uh, environments for spiritual growth in digital and in, in a digital context. Well, as you mentioned, you're the lead pastor at Buckhead Church, and um, this is one of the largest, part of the largest church in America. Um, and, and this is a rare thing among congregations where the majority of uh, church attendance is around 100 people on Sunday mornings. So y'all, y'all are a bit unique. So, you know, um, what, what do you think makes people connect with ministries like North Point? Yeah, I, um, I, I, I think seminary was so helpful for me because it really made me think about church differently. And we really see our Sunday experience as a marketplace experience. I mean, we don't see it any different than if I were going to go put on a, some kind of uh, program in the mall or in the middle of a uh, uh, MARTA station, our, uh, the, our city's transit system. Meaning we try to think about, hey, there's all kinds of people here. We're definitely not a, it's not a covenant-like uh, program or, uh, and I'm speaking specifically about our Sunday experience. And so we just try to create a really wide funnel. Uh, we have a vision. We want to be a church that unchurched people love. And so we try to speak in language that anybody would be able to understand. We try to, if we're going to sing a song that would be hard for somebody to understand, we try to explain it. Um, we just try to think about people that don't care about God or have no interest in faith. And we really think about, I mean, probably the, the, a better form of church for us is what happens in people's homes. And so we have groups that, you know, are really about 20, sometimes 25 people, maybe as small as eight, uh, that gather in people's homes on a weekly basis. And that's really where church happens. I mean, that's the Acts 2 model of church where people are sharing life together, praying for each other, exchanging needs. And so I would say we're this 21st century model of church, particularly mega church, is so different, obviously, than what the first century experienced. But we're just leveraging this big experience to draw people in and connect them into a more first century church environment, which is in homes, in neighborhoods, with people that they know, uh, opening the Bible together, studying scripture together, which um, I think seeing it differently seeing church in a different context, that's probably the first step, or that's probably maybe the most helpful thing that's um, allowed us to grow. But I know not everybody sees growth as a positive thing. I mean, we, we really do because we really are, uh, we want to see people introduced to faith. And then we have people that leave our church that go to 100-person churches because they uh, feel like they can't get a deep sense of community or because they want maybe a bit more didactic verse by verse Bible teaching or 
Um, I love the simple idea that most people stay at small churches because they want to feel known and they want to feel needed. And the same thing is true for us that I feel like we try to do a good job of making people feel known, but it's hard to do that on a Sunday. We really do that best in homes. And then we try to make, make sure that everyone feels needed, that everyone has a role, that everyone has a role to play and trying to mobilize as many volunteers as possible. So I think some of those principles have been some of the things that have helped us. Um, but it's been, uh, we, we definitely have not arrived and we've got, it's a big city that we live in and we really, uh, feel as called as ever to reach more people in our community with the gospel. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating no matter the size of a congregation, all ministers face, um, different types of issues, you know, so, uh, North point issues uh while they might be different than 100 person church issues there's still issues and and people that we have to try yeah. to navigate so you know for y'all as you as you think about being a large congregation as you said trying to get people engaged and connected what have been some of the more successful ways that you've been able to um leverage that influence uh for people to get connected outside of sunday morning or whenever worship <laughs> and to a home-based group or some sort of other small group? Well, we've got to make the system easy. I mean, we've had to make it just really simple and scalable for people to take a step and get into a group. Um, you know, Amazon has been successful because they've made shopping, I mean, just completely convenient. And we can get frustrated about that, you know, and say, oh, we're not going to play to people's um, whims or the needs in our culture, but clearly convenience is a, it's a massive value. I mean, I just saw at the beginning of 2019, the beginning of this year, Starbucks announced that they were going to do, um, they were going to add delivery at 2000 of their U S stores because for the first time in the history of their company, their in-store sales did not grow. Now the areas of their business that are growing are the drive-through mobile orders and catering and then now they're going to deliver. And so really trying to think about instead of allowing people to come in to get the coffee, which they used to do uh, more than Starbucks could hardly even serve them. Now they're having to figure out how do we get the coffee to people? And so we're trying to think in the same terms, how can we make it as convenient as possible for people to take a step and get into a group? Um, I feel like that in the last couple of years has um, allowed us to scale and grow even more than ever before in regards to getting people connected into smaller groups in their neighborhoods with people that they know, or at least people that they can meet to be able to sit around and pray together and study the Bible together and um, share needs. And um, that's probably been the most helpful thing lately is really trying to pay attention to what, what people want, pay attention, to what they desire, and then trying to leverage that for the sake of their own personal growth. I, I love the simple definition of leadership. I think it's Tom Landry, former Dallas Cowboys coach, that said leadership is getting people to do what they don't want to do to accomplish what it is they want to accomplish. And so we know people want meaningful relationships. We know people ultimately want to be known, but trying to get them to go to an event or trying to get them to take a step and get go to our website and join a group, uh, they might not want to do that. But leadership is getting them to do what they don't want to do to accomplish what it is that they know they do want to accomplish. So. Um, we're really trying to think about it in those terms. And it's, 
I would say it's helped us for sure, but um, there's still, there's a lot that we need to be doing that we're not doing in regard to, in regards to responding to the needs of people in our community for sure. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, Center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. Did I hear you say at the end of that Dallas Cowboys quote, back when they were tolerable? Did you say that? (laughs) No. I didn't <laughs> if you if you heard that that's your own editorial but it it has been a sad season for the Cowboys because they started off with such a bang and then they just regressed um wow. I don't know if they need to just go ahead and get back that contract so that he can feel more settled I don't know but are you are, <laughs> is that your team no absolutely not it's my continued threat of oh, throwing okay. shade on all of our Texas listeners so uh, love it, love it, so love you've, it. you've got a new book out, uh, How to Lead in a World of Distractions, Four Simple Habits for Turning Down the Noise. This book is an invitation to rethink our relationship with busyness and competing interest. And you wrote, distractions are like eating Tide Pods. Objectively, it makes no sense. And you will sound crazy trying to explain it to your grandmother. After you've given it, uh, given into distractions and satisfaction of the urge, you won't even be glad you did it. So <laughs> first of all, that is probably one of the best quotes from the book. I literally laughed out loud when I read it, but it was so true. So well, thank you. you know, what was going on in your life now that you needed to write a book about distractions? Yeah. Let, let me first of all say to any, anyone who has not caught on to the wave that is happening in teenage, with teenagers, but there was this odd season about three or four years ago where, and, and this was on the national news where teenagers were eating Tide Pods. So it was really just the tip of the cap to that bizarre turn of events in our culture. Um, yeah, I, there was a situation that happened in my life that I think exposed some feelings and emotions inside of me that I was not paying attention to. And I didn't even realize that distractions were keeping me from paying attention to those emotions inside of me. Um, so I'll quickly tell the story, but, uh, there were some, we're, we're always trying to figure out what's the right thing to be measuring. What should we be, what numbers should we be looking at? And of course, the natural gravitational pull in any church is just to measure attendance and dollars, you know, nickels and noses to determine your success. But we all know that we want way more than that for people. We don't just want people to attend and give. We want people to engage with their heart, engage with their time. We want people to uh, participate in leading others in faith and so uh, we had this one meeting where I was just, it, it was a season of time where I was just feeling a lot of, um, a lot of frustration with myself, but a lot of, I was feeling a lot of pressure from the bosses that I have as to why we were not seeing as much green as we wanted to, as much growth as we wanted to. And so this one particular meeting, it kind of escalated to the point where I, I wanted to ball up this particular 
dashboard that we were looking at and throw it in the middle of the table, but I didn't. I sat there maturely because I like eating indoors and um, I like having food. <coughs> um, but I, it eventually got to the point where after a, a few days of this, these lingering emotions, I reached out to my boss and I said, hey, can we sit down and talk about this? And so we sit down in his office at the end of the day on a Thursday and our weekends on Friday and Saturday. So it's kind of heading into the weekend. I was trying to just clear the air. And so I started asking some questions. He started responding. Uh, it quickly turned into a tenuous attention, uh, a tense conversation. And the oddest thing happened. I just started crying. I just lost it. And I'm not opposed to crying at work, but I've just never done it before. And I particularly have never done it talking about spreadsheets and data. And I knew there's something inside of me that is causing this and I am unaware of what it is. And so he kept asking things like, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I would just respond through tears like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, clearly I'm not fine. I'm crying over an Excel document. So um, it got to the point where it, uh, maybe halfway, or right, right toward the end, he said, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? And my boss, as a reminder, is a pastor, and I am a pastor. And so he said, hey, can I pray for you? I responded to him and said, no, <laughs> which was rock bottom for me. Um, but it was, I, it was one of those times in life where you're like, hey, I got to get out of here. I don't know what is going on inside of me. This is embarrassing. And I'm also frustrated because I don't, I don't have words for these emotions that I'm feeling. So it took me a while, a lot of processing. I was able to turn down the noise, um, turn down the distractions, and start really digging in with some help of uh, some friends, uh, some mentors, my wife, to try to really figure out what's going on inside of me. And I started realizing that there was this fear of, uh, a fear of failure, and maybe even worse than that, uh, a fear of being perceived as a failure that was driving a lot of this negative emotion that I had been masking or had been avoiding. And that really turned me on to this topic that every single one of us, uh, I love the illustration of white noise. Um, you, you have kids, Andy? Uh, absolutely. Do you, you use white noise with your kids? Uh, not just with our kids. We sleep with white noise every single night. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We do too. I don't think we did it before we had, I think our kids are what introduced it, uh, introduced the concept to us, but um, you know, you've got all kinds of, now you've got apps that do that, but a lot of people use ceiling fan or uh, the fan in a bathroom or whatever. A lot, a lot of people just leave the television on or turn music on or static, whatever it is. But the concept is a great illustration to me because it's something that you turn up to mask the things that you don't want to hear. And what I've found is that every one of us has our fingers on the dial of something that we look to turn up when we have something we don't want to feel. And the sad part of life is that it could be anything. Uh, everything really is a drug. I mean, anything can be a drug. And it could be work. It could be uh, sports. It could be podcasting. It could be radio, television, Netflix, shopping. Uh, ministry itself can be a form of noise. I mean, I, every single one of, you know, every one of us knows someone who is, lost at home or maybe feels like a loser at home or feels broken at home and so they just work more or they don't know what to do in their own personal life and so they just turn up the noise of ministry because it masks those emotions inside 
And the reason why this is a leadership concept is because you can't grow as a leader unless you're willing to grow emotionally. The best leaders are the most emotionally healthy leaders. And if you can learn to start trending toward emotional health, uh, it will just naturally make you a better leader. Even without doing leadership things, it will just make you a better person. It'll make you a better human, which is really, in essence, what a better leader is. A better leader is just a better person, a better follower of Jesus. And so I started realizing that for me to grow as a leader, I've got to turn down the noise. I've got to turn down the distraction on a regular basis, even when I feel like I don't need to, to pay attention to what's inside of me that I'm uh, potentially masking or avoiding that needs to be dealt with. I'm going to go back to two things you said earlier. Uh, number one, in your defense, anytime you've been in a contentious meeting and somebody says, can I pray for you? More likely than not, it feels like a power move. And so the resistance is like, no, absolutely not. Not in this moment. I can pray for, I can pray myself. Thank you. The other thing is, I don't know if I've ever seen on my app, the option for the, for the bathroom fan. And I don't know if that's the, the fan choice I'm going to be making to, to drown out the sound at night when I sleep. <laughs> well, I, I would choose that over, if it were an option, I would choose it over the uh, frogs or crickets. Yes, or or the uh, running water, you know, you're like, why do I keep getting up yeah, sometimes at night? Yeah, exactly. I've got to um, use the bathroom so often. <laughs> well, you know, good leaders examine themselves first, as you've said. It's asking the questions, what are my shortcomings and failures? Uh, what are my bad habits and distractions? As you said, what's going on with me? Uh, you wrote self-leadership demands that you know more about yourself than anyone else. So what are the best methods you have found in dissecting yourself when it comes to distractions? Yeah, I just like the concept of being a, an emotional detective, of deciding, hey, I'm going to be a student of myself. I'm going to really uh, interrupt my, uh, the dialogue I'm having with myself to ask some really important but maybe potentially hard questions, uh, trying to figure, trying to get under what's really going on. So. You know, there was, uh, I have a boss that has a lot of, um, has a lot of influence over me. He's been a mentor for a while, but we've had a challenging relationship over the last couple of years. And, you know, just today I re uh, found out that he was coming to our campus in the next couple of weeks to just observe. And it immediately created emotion inside of me. Oh no, is he going to be critical of me? Am I going to see him? Is it going to be awkward? Are we going to be Okay. And then I realized that I was actually going to be out of town that weekend and I started getting, I felt excitement. Oh, this is great. I'm going to, I'm not going to see him. So that would be an example where instead of just accepting that emotion, trying to get underneath that is where growth really happens. Because the truth is, if I were a healthy person, um, healthy people don't need to dodge. Healthy people don't need to avoid. Um, even if it's an awkward situation, healthy people are, are willing to lean in and deal with things that are even messy. So I want to grow towards becoming a healthy person. So even today, I've been trying to do some exploration internally to ask some questions. Why do I, when I heard he was going to be there, why did that bother me? And this person has a tendency to uh, be critical of things. And so I thought, okay, maybe he will find something that he's critical of. Um, worse than that. Maybe he's going to find something about me that he's critical of. And then the just, it just requires me to ask him questions. Well, so what if he does? What if he finds something that he's, it, does he have my best interest in mind? And I think he really does. I think this person wants me to uh, be a good leader. And so I have to convince myself, okay, he's not being critical of me to tear me down. He's trying to make me better. He's trying to help me. 
And when I reframe things like that, it just helps me grow. Um, but the problem with distractions is that I would rather distract myself with anything and everything than have to go through that process of emotional discovery because it's not always pleasant and it's sometimes painful. And it sometimes requires asking some really difficult questions that do bring up some conversations with ourselves that we just don't want to have. And so that's the power of turning down the noise is that it really is, um, it, it will never be urgent, but it really is one of the most important things we do on a day-to-day -day basis as leaders who are trying to grow in our emotional maturity, our emotional awareness, so that we can lead to our fullest potential, so that we can become the best kind of leader that God would want us to be, uh, which uh, I think every one of us wants, but it's just not easy to get there, uh, particularly not with the plethora of distractions in our world today. So when you're creating a countercultural movement, whether that's uh, within your own personal life or within a community of people or an organization that you lead, um, you're going to face resistance. So um, as you're eliminating the noise from your life, what, what kind of pushback do you get from others? Um, how, how do you inform others of why you're doing what you're doing without coming across as self-righteous or, you know, I'm aware of, 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 of everything. Yeah, that's, a, um, Andy, I've probably done 25 of these interviews and no one has ever asked that, which, um, that's a great question. Partly because or I guess here's just a couple of immediate thoughts for one. So I, I decided to write about these four habits that I'm really trying to do in my own life, um, that are helping me stay healthy. Uh, and they're really rooted in spiritual disciplines. Um, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And I wrote it for pastors. Um, but the, I would say 80% of the audience for the book and for any speaking, any, any uh, invitation to come do this talk came from businesses. And so for this book, instead of just giving these four practical habits that are spiritual disciplines, I tried to give them just simple language that anybody could handle. Um, but they really are rooted in, you know, ancient spiritual practices like Sabbath and fasting and uh, silence and solitude and prayer and meditation, uh, journaling, and self-talk. And, you know, we're taught not to, you know, I love that simple phrase that Jesus said, that, hey, when you tell someone that you're fasting, you basically gotten your reward you know whatever their response is that's your reward so I hope, I hope they were impressed because that's the reward however if you fast or pray in private without telling others uh, there's some kind of reward in heaven there's some kind of reward that transcends this life or transcends even the values of this world and i don't think it's a great idea to just walk around telling everyone all the time why you are practicing the rhythms that you're practicing on the flip side, though, there is a vulnerability to it. Um, I think, you know, Brene Brown has been a massively influential voice in my own life, and she's done such a great job of elevating this conversation of vulnerability to the workplace, to corporations, and obviously to churches as well. And I think she's so right that vulnerability creates connection, that when you open up your life and say, hey, um, here's an area where I'm struggling, and I don't know what to do with this emotion, therefore... I am taking a Sabbath this week, or I am fasting from social media this month, or I am uh, not going to watch Netflix for the next week. 
because I'm trying to listen to what's really going on inside of me so that I can deal with it. I, I think there is some power in that conversation because of the, uh, the connection that it creates with people. And I think as pastors, I think we've got to figure out how to become more vulnerable, how to be more honest about what we're really dealing with. I don't think anybody wants uh, a perfect person who's leading them. We've already have that. I think we need authentic leaders who are willing to open up about real struggles. And I think the danger sometimes with vulnerability is uh, I have definitely seen this in myself and I've seen this in other pastors as well. I think it's sometimes dangerous to open up about something that you're in process on. I think it's a more helpful way to teach and instruct and preach to open up about things that God has been taking you through and not something that God has you currently in. And that's kind of my rule of thumb on how I think about vulnerability for myself. Yeah, I guess, you know, I think about Sabbath. So like, for example, when I leave the office on Thursday, Friday and Saturday are my days off. Somebody emails me on those days. I honestly don't check it um, because I'm trying to be physically and mentally and emotionally present with my family. But you have people on Sunday morning, the first thing they do is come up to me like, hey, I didn't hear from you uh, about my email. When'd you email me? Yeah. You know, Thursday, uh, I emailed you on Friday, Saturday. Okay, well, I don't, I don't check my email. And it's just that oftentimes when you, you try to respond, you're not trying to speak at it, um, you know, self-righteously or from a you know, right. position of right. authority, but you're kind of speaking into it. And sometimes you, you feel that, that pushback, that resistance that, that comes with it. So maybe let's focus in a little closer on the organizations that we lead. Um, you know, yeah. when, when you focus in on helping others grow, so as you're trying to, um, you know, eliminate the distractions and the noise in your own uh, life, how do, you, how do you influence those who fall under your leadership to put this into practice? How do you, how do you coach people to do this? You know, what does that practically look like? Well, I think you've got to model it. I mean, I think any leadership is best modeled because it's best caught, not taught. Um, and I think you also have to leave space for it. That there's, um, you know, I think to your example, you got to, you know, if you're if you're running an organization, you got to decide: Do I want people responding to email on the weekends or not? Uh, am I okay with people having boundaries around technology uh, in their own personal time? And some organizations are, and some aren't. And I, I would say in our organization. If you were to put up a boundary like that, we would probably say, um, hey, just be really clear with your teammates. Be really clear with your volunteers, the people that you're responsible to try to help lead um, on, on why you're doing that and how you're doing it. And then also maybe give them another point of contact. You know, if there's some kind of emergency or, you know, here, here's a, a, a way to get in touch with me. Uh, this is not a plug for necessarily for this technology, but we use Slack a lot. And the great thing about Slack is that you can control the notifications and so you can choose to mute certain conversations, but that allows, um, that allows me if I'm going on vacation and I don't want to be a part of the chatter that's happening in the office, I can just mute the, mute that channel. But, um, I, I do think, uh, modeling it for your organization and then also, uh, making sure that people know it's a priority. Uh, that your personal health is a priority, I think is something that we as leaders are responsible to do. The book's been out for a couple months now. Um, what kind of response are you getting back from your readers? Um, 
you know, it's so hard to filter through comments. So you know how this works, Andy, but they put together this launch team where people are agree to comment or review the book. Um, and you want them to be unbiased, but at the same time, you're giving them a free book. And so they feel compelled to write a positive review. So uh, it's a little hard to filter through the comments and go, is this someone's authentic, genuine feedback? Or is this someone who got a free book and feels like they're reciprocating the generosity by giving a generous review? But um, I, I would say for the most part, I think people, I, I think what, what I, some of my favorite feedback is when people say, hey, this is practical, this is helpful. And that's what I really want, because I, I think everyone knows, you know, obviously, there's all kinds of distraction. There's loads of different things that can be a distraction. Uh, but technology is one of the most primary distractions in our world today. And I think most people know, yeah, I need to take a break from it. I need to put my phone down when I go home so I can be present with my wife or my kids or my spouse, my family. Um, but I think giving people practical tools on how to do that. Um, I think that's the kind of feedback that encourages me the most or excites me the most when people go, Hey, I don't know that I would have ever identified that as noise, but that was really helpful because it helped me do that. Um, that's what I probably feel most encouraged by. What's next for you? What kind of other projects are you working on? Well, I went into this, uh, wide open originally, probably a couple of years ago when I first uh, got into the publishing world, but I really, uh, I kind of backed my way into this, uh, a how to lead brand around leading without authority, uh, which I really like because I feel like there's so much leadership content is written to the top 1% of organizations, but, um, you know, most of us are not in charge. So this, this, this book was really meant to be, Hey, if you're going to lead yourself, well, how do you do that? Well, you've got to turn down the noise and you've got to open yourself up to be um, someone who's trending toward emotional health. Um, I think in a couple of years, I'd love to write on the topic of leading others. Um, how, how do you lead others without them feeling led by you or without them feeling like you're trying to lead them? I think that's a really tricky thing. How do you do that in a real authentic and uh, kind, servant-minded way? And then I'd love to write about leading organizations for performance. I think I'm still trying to figure that out for myself. I really would love to write about something that I uh, know something about or at least have done. And so um, I see that triad, though, leading yourself, leading others, and leading organizations for performance is really the, a grid or a way to think about leadership. So, um, yeah, I'd love to continue to add to the stream of voices that have written about leadership. The first time I, when I, when I sent this, idea to this publisher that we have a relationship with his name is stan gundry he works for zondervan and he's, he's a legend in the publishing world and uh, we finally got on the phone to talk about it and i said well mr gundry what did you think about this topic and he said well young man the last thing this world needs is another leadership book which i thought well this doesn't seem like we're off to a great start <laughs> but <laughs> He said, I do think coming at it from the topic of influence and not authority, com uh, coming at it from the, the middle level, you know, those that feel stuck in the middle of an organization or in the middle of a denomination or middle of a school uh, or a corporation. Um, I do think that's a, that's a bit of a unique angle on leadership versus a top-down perspective on leadership. So I, I would love to continue to have that, uh, to continue to write from that perspective. 
Well, for those that want to stay connected with Clay, you can visit claysscrogans.com. You can also follow him on social media. Of course, go out and purchase How to Lead a, in a World of Distraction, wherever books are sold. Clay, thank you for reminding us that to be the best leaders, we have to be attuned to ourselves and what prevents us from bringing our best selves to the table. Glad to do it, Andy. Thank you. I really appreciate the conversation. Um, you're a great interviewer. It's very rich, uh, meaningful. Hopefully, it'll be helpful to those of you that are listening. I really appreciate it. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This podcast is supported by Living Earth Ceramics. Living Earth Ceramics has been on Etsy, bringing pottery to you for almost 10 years and has over 20 years of pottery experience. The focus is not only creating pieces that help bring lasting memories to your community and your life and your family through pottery, but also the support of charitable donations to organizations in need. Living Earth Ceramics created an amplifier in 2011 to help those with hearing loss, like the owner herself. Other items have included mugs, serving ware, custom plates, and orders for newlyweds and holiday memories, gallery items, and custom requests for communal pieces to religious organizations. Living Earth Ceramics Shop on Etsy offers 10% discount to orders using the coupon code CBF Conversations. That's one word, CBF Conversations, with a free shipping now available to the continental United States. Living Earth Ceramics proudly supports our message of hope and love for all people. For more information, visit etsy.com backslash shop backslash living earth ceramics. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in return.